Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 11, Episode 6. We're a week behind on this follow-up because, as you guys know, we were all off on assignment last week, but we are back in the studio. I'm joined, of course, by Mike and Zach. And this week's episode was titled An Ambush, where we heard the full story and all the evidence against the two men that not only didn't get convicted, but were never even questioned by the police. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. All right, before we get started in this episode, I want to just kind of touch base, do a little bit of housekeeping, and let you guys know what we have going on moving forward. As I told you at the beginning of this season, this was going to be just a mini-season. This was a story that uh, was brought to us by Pablo's attorney, they asked us to to tell Pablo's story and break down the case for all of you, and and I'm sure that you're all as shocked as I am to see the actual details of this case. For this week's main episode, which will be the season finale, we have Pablo's attorney, Herman Yu, actually on the show to break down anything in the case that we haven't talked about, to explain to you where Pablo's legal case is now and what to expect moving forward. And also to talk to us about why they wanted us to tell the story. A big question that's come out from a lot of listeners through this is it's a super interesting case, but what can we do to help? And that's what Pablo's attorney is going to be on explaining what they need from us moving forward. So that'll be coming up on Sunday. Now, moving forward, the original plan, I told you guys a couple months ago that we have a very big, very complicated uh, case that we're going to be doing that's going to require some months of research. And I told you we were going to do a couple mini seasons in between while we get prepped for that. Well, we, we've changed plans a little bit. This, this, it's, we're still going to be doing the same case for our next big case, 
But what I found through Pablo's case is even doing a mini season requires a lot of, of research and work on my part to keep up with the case. And I'm not able to do the work fully investigating uh, the next one while I'm working on this one. So rather than do another mini season between now and when we launch into what's going to be season 12, we're going to do kind of what we did uh, prior to season 11 launching, which is we're going to be doing some bonus episodes. Uh, and this is something where we, we need your help on. Uh, I know the, the the first thing that a lot of people say, and I do appreciate this, you know, we always have people say, well, just just take a take a few weeks off, take a month off to get ready. Uh, but that's not something that we can do. And that's just contractually, we have contracts with advertisers. We have, you know, it, with Wondery. Uh, so we can't do that. We've got it. We have to put out episodes every week. Um, and, we, and we need you all to still tune in and listen every week, too, to to maintain all those contracts. And that's just, uh, it's, I know it's pretty transparent, but just to let you know, like, like where we're at with that. So what I would like to have is, is a, a solid month at least to prepare for this case, to get back into it. I had done a bunch of research prior to starting season 11, made a lot of contacts then, then kind of got sidetracked during season 11. And so now I'm, I'm, I'm getting fully back into it. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning on Saturday, I'm flying out. I'm not going to tell you where the case is at, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, that it is not in Texas. Uh, and it's in the desert. So it's it, the, the next case is in the desert. I'm flying out on Saturday. I'm going to be spending a week out in the desert working on the case. That'll probably be the first of two or three trips getting ready for this. I have a ton of people that I need to interview, a lot of investigative work that I need to do on the ground. Uh, so that's what's going to be happening between now and probably mid-January at the latest, first of February when we launch into season 12. I just want to make this. This is a big one. This is a case that we'll probably be covering for close to a year. And I want to make sure that that we have everything in line, ducks in a row, ready to go before we launch into that season. And it's another one. And it's a case where there are a lot of people that I need to interview and I need to interview them before the podcast starts airing. This is going to be the full old school crowdsourced investigative season that we've done in Truth and Justice so many times. Um, but with that being said, as you guys know. Once the podcast starts airing, people start talking about it. The word gets out, and there's people that I need to interview that that I need to not know that's happening before I interview them. So that's why there's so many trips. That's why we need the delay. Uh, plus, you know, we've got a, a massive trial to go through that I need to get fully versed in before we move forward. So that's what's coming in season twelve. I'm super. I, I haven't been this excited about a season in a long time. This this is. Along the lines of season two, the Ed H case, I'm really excited to get into it. We just need that prep time. So where you guys come in is, you know, we Zach and and Mike and I were talking off the air before we came in today about what the plan is for both these bonus episodes and also how to do the follow up episodes. And the reason for that is a lot of the bonuses, for example, the the main episode you're going to hear next week uh, is one that's not going to require a lot of uh, follow-up. You know, if we do a follow-up episode, there's not really, it's an interview. There's not a lot of questions for you guys to ask. So uh, we want to kind of throw it out to you guys. We've had some ideas about possibly doing like a live stream either on Facebook or YouTube and doing real-time questions. 
uh, where you guys can ask us about anything in any case. Um, questions will be submitted ahead of time. So let us know on social, uh, on, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, what you guys would like to see for some of those follow-ups. Some of them I'll be breaking down a, a, a case, kind of like we did with Charles Ravy, but most of them are going to be interviews because that's something where I can sit down, I can do the interview, send it off to Mike, and then get right back into researching the case that we're, that's coming up for season 12. So, so we're definitely interested in some of your feedback, both with how you'd like to see the follow-ups go uh, during those interview episodes, and also anything that you would like to hear about in the bonus episodes. You know, this is a, this is a good opportunity for us kind of to to break off script from what we normally do, uh, where we can really you know take take a half hour to an hour every week to talk about whatever you'd like to hear or, or hear from anyone that you would like to hear from. So, so let us know on social media or through our, or through our email or contact form on our website what you'd like to hear in those bonus episodes, how you'd like to see the follow ups done, and just know that this is you know the, this series of bonus episodes is giving us the time that we need to fully prep for the production of season twelve, which is going to be a very long form, crowdsourced investigative season of Truth and Justice that'll be coming up very soon. Um, so and I, with that being said, I think that's all of the housekeeping. Now, jumping back to Pablo's case as we're wrapping up this season, um, this was a lot. There's a lot of information there. It, some of the stuff I knew, some of the stuff was even shocking to me as I was reading through the case file. Uh, it seems very obvious to me what actually happened in this case. Uh, before we get into your question, Zach, you said you've got a few things you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So, Bob, last time we convened, we were discussing the idea that it was two shooters, that that whole premise of there being two shooters. Right. And, and since then, you've obviously dropped on us the possibility of there being a third shooter. Right. I think that's massive. Honestly, that's huge. And especially with being able to see what we've seen with the ballistics and, and the shell casings, that it does seem very likely that there was a third shooter being Ron. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's very interesting to see. And especially that they were able to tie the probability of them being able to tie that to Ron and not doing anything about it. It was, it was, yeah. When you have, you know, Ron involved in another shooting and the shell casings match both, it's crazy. They didn't make the connection, mm -hmm. but I think it also puts into perspective, you know, that's why I titled the episode an ambush, you know, so thinking about how this went down and looking at the, the phone records, especially between Ron and Wooly and shorty leading up to it. I almost, you know, it seemed like why would Jason fire one shot into the ground? Mm -hmm. And I almost think that it was that that Ron and Shorty were the two that were the real leaders, the aggressors here, and that possibly Wooly's job was to run Ron or run Adrian out into the parking lot. Uh, and, to, you, and you think that's more just for less collateral damage? I mean, to get him away from the group of people? I yeah you know, I I don't know I can't it, it's hard to th like I can I can certainly on paper say yeah they you know he shoots at the ground makes him run into the parking lot where there's not so many innocent bystanders mm -hmm. where they can kill but, him there. but an innocent bystander got killed right an innocent bystander still got killed and then it's like but man in reality does that make sense and I don't and I don't know the answer to that mm -hmm. like because you know presumably he would go to the car anyway but you know so would everybody else right so like if the whole crowd is leaving the bar. And going out to the parking lot, then there's people all over the place. It's definitely a good way to separate him from from the crowd. I think one thing is for certain is there is so much more to this story that we don't know. We may never know. Right. Because it doesn't, I, I cannot understand why they would seek out Adrian to ambush him, to kill him. If there wasn't more, if there was just this fight in the bathroom right. where he 
himself said he got his ass kicked. Uh huh. Why are they seeking him out to murder him unless he knows more than what's being portrayed? There's got to be more to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I said, I, I said I said it back then. I'll say it again. I agree with the DA that was interviewing Adrian when he said, like, you got your ass kicked. Why would they be coming for revenge? It, it, you know, and it could be. You know, it hasn't been said that this was, you know, there was gang affiliate. Well, I guess it has been said. There was mm-hmm. some, like, prison gang affiliation uh, with the tattoos, the TS um, the, uh, gang that they could have been in. But, you know, it did. we did find out that at least one witness said that Shorty is one of the biggest drug dealers in Houston. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounded like that there was a waitress possibly pushing drugs for Wooly. Right. Which I'm, I'm guessing is, is coming down from Shorty. Right. So I wonder if Adrian was interfering with that. Maybe it could have been, or you know, or it could have been something as simple as Adrian talking shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know. And so none of this is. This is just me kind of spitballing. But it's like after he got his ass kicked, was he run around town saying he was going to kill these guys or something? Yeah. And they're just not the kind of guys that are going to you know put up with that those kind of threats. Or you know, was he? Was there more to it that nobody's heard about? Was he one of the people helping move drugs for uh, for Shorty and them? There, there's there's some connection there. There's got to be for them to to go out like you know, for them to, to to ambush him and kill him in front of a whole crowd of people like that. I'll tell you the biggest thing that struck me though is we just had this conversation and we've had six weeks of conversation. And you know what? All of it leads up to there's no Pablo. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. There's yeah. this whole story about we're trying to figure out what happened with Adrian and Jason and, you know, but Pablo's never there. Yeah. It's when you tell the story of what happened on that night, Pablo's not part of the story, which is just, which is just tragic. Uh, and, and y'all are going to hear from Pablo too. As I mentioned, I'm going to be out in the desert working on, on the new case next week. Uh, and so we were trying to figure out how to get the follow-up done. And so what I decided to do for the follow-up actually is to interview Pablo himself. So the season finale for the for the season is going to be this Sunday where we hear from his attorney. And then next week for the follow-up, you're actually going to hear from Pablo. It's, and it's, it's much more of a casual conversation. We just spend 30 minutes on the phone talking about the season, what he wants to do when he gets out of prison. And uh, uh, we learned there's some connections there with, with some of our older cases that I was unaware of. Um, school conversation. But anyway, you're going to hear from Pablo later. But yeah, getting back to this case, like it's just, it's, it's just tragic, man. There's just there's 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 absolutely no question about the fact that he wasn't involved. There's absolutely no question about who was involved. And now that we fully understand the ballistics, I think we got a pretty good picture of what happened. You had you had Ron standing in the parking lot, and also I want to point out the phone records was a big deal too. Mm-hmm. So before you get bring that up, Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Ah, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With LuckyLandSlots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Were the phone records ever submitted into court? It's hard. I don't think so. I don't think I, I don't. I know for a fact that Pablo's defense. My understanding is that the state had those phone records mm-hmm. because remember, we saw in the police report where they subpoenaed them. Yeah. So I guess my only thought would be is the reason they weren't brought up because the phones were bought secondhand. So they can't actually prove that they were theirs. I, th- I think they were just suppressed. I'm not positive about that. Okay. But we know the police had them mm-hmm. and we know they weren't brought up in court. But again, we also know the judge had the, the ruling in that they, he wasn't allowed to bring Ron or Shorty up as alternate suspect. Well, I just was thinking maybe because, you know, we have it was confirmed that a third party bought those phones for them. Right. So I was wondering if maybe that that was something the defense could use saying, well, or the the prosecution could say that, well, we don't really know. That could have been it, it, it could have been a way. But my understanding, the, the way I understood it from reading the case files that we have, mm-hmm. I don't think the defense even had those records. OK. Yeah, because remember, you got you've got King on the stand saying Ron's name was never brought up in this investigation. And that doesn't get bucked by uh, by Pablo's defense attorney. So I think that he didn't know. Okay. I don't think that those are out there. But those those phone records really tell a story where you see all the calls between the three of them leading up to it. And then you've got a couple minutes when the actual killing happens. Mm-hmm. And then we have the God spent two weeks now, but um, I believe it was Shorty was in a different car. It must have been because you know, he had calls between uh, I think it was calls between Wooly and Shorty. Back and forth, like in the minutes leading after the murder, which tells you that they're obviously not in the same car. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden, because originally you kind of write off these witnesses. Well, you know, you got Claudia saying, I think everybody got in the Cadillac. Adrian saying, I think everybody got in the Cadillac. When these other witnesses are like, well, there was also a white Cadillac there too. And it's like, oh, no, well, they're, you know, they're just mixed up because they all left in one. But then it's like, oh, but those phone records show that's not true. That's That's probably exactly what happened was that one of them got into one car and the other two got into another. And then if you look, go back to the diagram, look where the shots were at. All those 40 caliber shots were right where the gold Cadillac was parked. And then you have uh Wooly's path of travel, according to Claudia, was it that, you know, that he was running right there. I think they kind of met up right there and those two jumped in that car and then Shorty jumped in the other car. So one of the things that stuck out that was strange to me is, is in that interview with Jason Wooly, he he kind of is like half ass ratting them out, but not really. Like I don't know if he's just regurgitating information that he knows is out there, mm-hmm. but like they're asking him about the shooters and he and he kind of he doesn't really give Shorty's description. He says he's taller, but he gives a description of Ron and then he says they get in a gold Cadillac and you know I mean uh-huh. he's giving all these details like he's ratting them out, but I don't know if he's just is he just regurgitating information that he knows they know. He, well, he definitely knows they know about the gold Cadillac. Mm-hmm. I, I think so. I think he's, he's trying to, honestly, I think he's trying to avoid getting killed Okay, by them. So he doesn't want to give too much, but it is interesting that when he tells the story that he only made, only took one shot mm-hmm. and that there were two other shooters out yeah. there, which. So is, he's telling, I mean, it seems to be, he's telling the story. Right. And the one thing that stuck out strange to me at first, and then I really thought about it is, you know, they were talking about the car and he basically is like, oh, it's like a 96 or a 97. I'm like, well, how the hell would you know that? Uh But also I remember I'm not a car guy. Right. My wife works in the automotive industry for Corvettes and and can tell you can point out Corvettes going down the road and tell you what year they are based on the color. But you know what I mean? So 
So there are people like that. So yeah, and that doesn't surprise me. It also seems like those Cadillacs were very popular amongst that crowd mm-hmm. back then. So they probably knew what was what. But it was just all weird to me that he was like half-ass ratting them out, but not. He right. was he wasn't really given names, but he was still kind of pointing things in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it makes you wonder about the whole thing about you know I, I assume that he was just full of shit the whole time. That if you're looking at the forensics, like I mean, truthfully, there now Wooly actually should have been convicted, mm-hmm. even with aiding and abetting, because even though he may not have shot and killed anyone, he was a part of it. But the fact of the matter is, it seems like the story he told was the truth. And minus they, that they were random. Right. Yeah. Although, yeah. The fact that he doesn't know the other two guys. But the story he told about he did not shoot uh, Emerson. He did not shoot Adrian. All he did was shoot at the ground. And again, the fucking Harris County Police Department and the Harris County District Attorney's Office knew that the forensics proved what he was saying. And they went ahead with it anyway. I have no sympathy for him because he was still involved. It was still a part of it, but it's still just another miscarriage of justice. It's still two killers left on the street. You know, it, it kind of makes me think of, and this is really making a huge leap here, so forgive me, but we, I watched that White Boy Rick documentary, and they, they kind of talk about the police kind of embedding themselves with them, mm-hmm. you know, the big drug deal, the big drug dealers going on that are kind of holding down everything, and the police are kind of protecting them. I almost... I mean, I hate to speculate, but I mean, I wonder if they're doing that for Shorty to try to keep the heat off of Shorty. I wonder, um, I, I have no evidence to support it, but I've wondered if he was some kind of informant or something or, 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 or that he either that he was an informant or if the, the witness statements that say that he was the biggest drug dealer in Houston, mm-hmm. like, did he have the kind of money where it was like, like what you see on TV where like he literally is paying off the cops. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Something. I mean. When when all signs are, are are putting a giant bullseye on him saying he's involved and they don't even talk to him. And by the way, I was uh, Pablo did correct me. Uh, both Shorty and Ron are both. Neither of them are in prison now. They're both still out. Yikes. Yeah. So like, how does that happen? Mm. How, how does someone who's known to be the biggest drug dealer in Houston, someone who 50 people watched attack and shoot and kill a 17 year old kid and. Still nothing's happening to him. Something's going on there. All right, guys, we'll jump into these questions. Our first one's from Joy. Joy says, in this episode, you mentioned that Ron's common law wife's brother was a Houston police officer. Are or will you guys be doing any digging to find out who that police officer is? And while we're talking about the wife's brother, Aaron says, was the defense aware that Ron's common law brother was a police officer? It seems like they weren't aware of a lot of the information that they should have known. Would anything in this case be considered a Brady violation? Oh, tons of inf- tons of stuff in this case is very clearly Brady violations. Uh, King's notebook. I mean, there's one thing after another. Claudia's actual statement compared to what they said she said. You know, there's there's tons of Brady violations here. I don't think that the defense knew, and I say that because when King was on the stand and said no one has ever said Ron's name in the course of this investigation. The regardless of what kind of order was in prior to that, the the defense should have been able to impeach him based on that, uh, based on prior statements. So he should have been able to bring that up. And the fact that he doesn't within the trial transcripts just it seems to me that that they basically suppressed and which would be Brady everything that had to do with Ron and Shorty. 
Christina says, if Wooly ran with Shorty and Ron, why were people so reluctant to testify against those two, but not Wooly? Well, it kind of goes back. I don't know, but it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, where it almost seems like Wooly's job was just to spook him out into the parking lot to separate him from the herd. And it, it I mean, I think it's possible at least that, that Wooly's role in that group was just kind of a lackey. Yeah. You know that that he was he was the one that was told what to do by the others, and and so people didn't weren't really afraid of him, but they were afraid of the other two, or that the other two said you're going to take the fall for this, and you know so the and I don't know I don't have Woolley's transcripts I don't know who t- did testify against him um, at trial I mean it was you also had the fact that there was you know he was in the club came out of the club there was you know a bunch of people standing right there there was there was no question that he was involved and he confessed to it. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's more what you said. And the, the previous part of that was that he was just more a lackey. He was probably a, uh, a street dealer for shorty that got caught up in it. Uh-huh. And, and in my opinion, they probably didn't care about him, right? Whether he went down or not. Yeah. Well, and he said in his, his earlier interviews, you know, back at the time that he said that he's going to, that, that originally that, that he knew who the other two shooters or I think maybe it's in his affidavit later that he knew who the other two shooters were mm-hmm. that he didn't do it, but he's going to take the hit. I mean, he straight up has told police that he was the one that's going to take the hit for it and he's not going to give up the other shooters. Lori says if the detectives are afraid of Ron and Shorty, does Houston PD have a gang unit that could have assisted? I don't know. I, again, I, I don't know if they're afraid of them. I don't know. I know there are people out there that, that believe that they were informants to be honest with you. I, the more I think about it, the more I doubt that. You know, I, I don't think that the, the the biggest drug dealer in Houston would be an informant. That's a good way to get yourself killed. Mm-hmm. I think it's more likely that that they were lying in the pockets of someone on the police force. Or there's the and I guess I should circle back. I didn't fit, I didn't answer that que- the previous question a couple questions ago about um, the brother in law that works for HPD. Uh, I, I don't know anything about that. I don't have access through records to investigate. The only way I'd be able to figure that out is to, you know, go put boots on the ground and start interviewing people. And for a couple of reasons, I'm not going to do that. One, that's just, you know, I've got too much other stuff to do with the next case, too. He's got, you know, Pablo has a team of, of lawyers that are working, a whole team that are working pro bono for him that, that, that can do that investigative work. Uh, three, that's not something, you know, it's, it's not, when you get into the, the, bur- the burden, once you get into the habeas phase of post-conviction work, the burden is so high that you're not going to, there's no way that you're, you may be able to sway a jury with that in an original trial. Like, look, you know, this guy, this guy who wasn't investigated, his brother or his brother-in-law is a cop. And that's why you might be able to sway a jury with that. But when it comes to, you know, a judge in a federal habeas hearing, like that's not solid evidence. That's not something they, they'd even hear. So there's, there's not much point in going and, and looking into it further, but you know, it, it was interesting that it was noted in the report and you got to wonder if it has, has something to do with it. But again, as I've said before, this, this whole thing comes back to like, I think there's something so much deeper here. The fact that we keep seeing this same pattern when you have when the victim is a person of color. In Houston, you know, with, with Catalina Palomino, uh, the victim in, in Charles Raby's case. And in this case, it's like they don't care. They don't care about the people they're sending to prison. They don't care about the victim. They're just trying to close cases. 
And so, you know, it's, there's something deeper going on there. There's, there, there's, there's a reason for that. Well, it felt like they wanted to close this case, but it also does feel like they're protecting Shorty and Ron. Right. And there was ways to protect Shorty and Ron. It's, it's like, it's like the perfect storm, right? Like they're trying to protect them, but they also need to close the case. So they just, you know, take the next easiest path forward. Mm -hmm. It is Ryan here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Karen says, Whatever became of the stolen Cadillac? Uh, Cadillac was not stolen. Uh, so the, remember the full story of that is Pablo had bought it at a buy here, pay here lot where you're just paying payments directly to the lot. And then when he sold it to Ron, Ron was supposed to take over the payments. I think he made a couple of those payments. And then Ron said he didn't want the car anymore and wasn't going to pay for it anymore. And when that happened, Pablo went and got the car and, and returned it back to the lot. It was never stolen. The, as far as the stolen part came in, in that the morning of the, of the murder that Ron called Pablo and told him to report it stolen, but Pablo never did. Um, and then he told him later, Oh, never mind." Jennifer says, who wrote the report about the Buffalo Fred shooting? Did defense counsel have prior access to this report? If so, why could it not be used to impeach King on the stand? So the thing is, there was no report about the Buffalo Fred shooting. That wasn't, they, they weren't able to, they had a police report for the shooting at the apartment complex. A couple months before the murder, but the one of Buffalo Fred's, that information came um, to the detectives from an informant, and I believe it came from Emerson's father. If not through him, then directly, then through the, then through his girlfriend. But I believe it was his father that called the police and told Detective King or Swainson, whichever one he spoke to, that there was the shooting. That it, that what had happened was they obviously didn't have confidence in the police because Emerson had friends that were trying to go get information from the folks that ran with in the same circles or around Wooly, Ron and Shorty, because they already suspected them. And he said the person and his friend that had gone to try to get information, uh, got beat up. One of them got their teeth knocked out. They were firing guns in the air and they were threatening that if anybody testifies against them or goes to the police as witnesses against them for the perfect rack shooting, that they're going to kill them. So it was it was King that noted all that in his in his notebook and in in his report, but it, there was no actual police report at the scene that night. The police never showed up there. Next, Jennifer says, "What was the reason for the judge not allowing alternate suspects to be named, and was this just for Ron and Shorty, or could the defense not give any alternatives?" I don't know because I don't have access to the pretrial uh, documentations, or I haven't seen it. Uh, where all that's broken down and, and determined. My understanding was that they weren't allowed to bring up alternate suspects at all. I know specifically for sure Ron was not allowed to be brought up, but I'm not sure about Shorty. Uh, and, and to be truthful, that that's not terribly uncommon for that to be the case in, in a lot of cases where you know the, the, what the judge is typically trying to do is – is limit the evidence that the jury hears to the actual facts of the case. So in cases where the defense might try to just raise some random 
third party or some random other person as an alternate suspect in order to try to shift attention away from their client, the judges won't allow that. In a lot of cases, that's, you know, that's, that's the right move because otherwise you could just throw shit at a wall and see what sticks. In this case, it wasn't the right move because there was – now, I will give the judge the benefit of the doubt uh, it, because of the fact that I don't think that the judge knew that King was lying to them, that the, the DA, uh, Bogar, and Detective King and Detective Swainson were all lying to them, and they weren't documenting. They were suppressing information, so it looked like there was no actual evidence implicating Ron or Shorty. And so, therefore, the judge said, well, if that's the case, then they're not allowed to bring them up as alternate suspects. It's just going to distract the jury. But as we know now, the fact of the matter is that there was a ton of evidence implicating them, and they should have been – not only should they have been able to present it as uh, as a defense, as, as alternate suspects, but truthfully, it should have been Ron and Shorty in that courtroom altogether. Lynn says, do you have an opinion about the quality of Pablo's defense? It wasn't good, uh, but I don't know – I don't want to pass judgment because I don't know how handcuffed he was. Like, so we, we, as we just talked about, we know that he wasn't allowed to bring up alternate suspects. We know that there was a ton of evidence that was suppressed. So, you know, how do you, how do you go into a fight when you're, when you're, when your hands are tied behind your back? That being said, it, it definitely didn't, there's no reason Pablo should have been convicted. I think there's definitely ineffective assistance of counsel here, but I don't know how much of it was actually the defense attorney's fault and how much of it still really falls back on prosecutorial misconduct. Carla says, Bob, how many beers did you kill at camp? Oh, I didn't meet my goal. I didn't, didn't get nearly as many. There were no deer harmed at deer camp. You'll all be happy to know Um, through the making of that deer camp. Nothing was harmed. Um, The, the beer count was lower than I feel. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm a little ashamed of, of the, of the low beer count this year. We had a good time, though. It was a good time. All right. Next, she wants to know, you gave identifiable information, including his voice, about the witness who clearly wants to remain anonymous. How is that okay? Or has his identity since been revealed publicly? Well, you need to know that anything that I'm talking about, any audio I'm playing, anything like that, it's all run through Pablo's attorneys for that very reason. And in this case, um, the information you heard has already been publicly available the interested parties know that there's this guy, Superman, and also listen to what he's saying. What would they be mad at him for? What he said, he doesn't know who did it. You know? So if he had been, if he had said, yeah, it was Ron and Shorty. I saw them. Then there would be more reason to be far more cautious with that. Uh, but he definitely is nervous. doesn't want his identity out there. Uh, and so we, you know, we, we chose to, con- to continue to redacting his name out of the, out of the case file. Um, but yeah, there's no, Pablo's attorneys were okay with, with playing that audio because there's nothing clearly identifiable and he didn't say anything to implicate anyone on top of that. All right. Our last questions from Jason, since the case file reveals quite plainly that the detectives lied under oath, has Pablo been granted a new trial based on that? If not, why not? What happens to officers when they verifiably lie under oath? Well, for starters, what happens to officers when they verifiably lie under oath is most of the time nothing. It's, you know, prosecutors and police officers have a level of immunity that is put there on paper for a good reason. Uh, unfortunately, what it does is it allows bad cops like Detective Swainson and Detective King 
to just break any rules they want to and not have any consequences. As far as the new trial, no, he has not been ordered a new trial yet. And the questions you're asking here are best answered by Pablo's attorney, which is who is going to be on this Sunday. Pablo's attorney, Herman Yu, is going to be on this Sunday for the finale of season 11. He's going to break down where Pablo's case is at, uh, what arguments have been effective and which haven't, and his opinion as to why they have not been effective. And then most importantly, he's going to share with us what we, the Truth and Justice Army, can do to help. That's this Sunday on Truth and Justice. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show was created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kay Wood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. All right, guys, we'll jump into these questions. Our first one's from Joy. Why, Mike? I forgot you were there. Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. It's a tombstone right, quote. Another, another tombstone quote.